Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. Thank you, Natalie. It's one of my favorite, favorite hymns, How Great Thou Art. Just think about that. And sings my soul. Sings my soul. This is the very utterance, then sings my soul, says, something inside of me has been reborn, and therefore what comes out of me is praises to God. Now just that very thought that what comes out of me is a result of something that went into me, it, it, it just should blow your mind if you're saved, that Christ Jesus would think enough of you to bother with you, much less die for you and save you. And we should shout how great thou art at every opportunity we get. We should never stop singing adoration to the Father. This morning, turn to the book of Acts. We'll be in the 28th chapter of the book of Acts. If you get to Romans, you went too far. You went one chapter too far, as a matter of fact. The book of Acts, chapter 28, and we'll be in the first Ten verses, the title of this morning's message is Not a Tourist. Not a Tourist. This past October, Liette and I had an opportunity to go on what for me had been a dream vacation. I'd always wanted to go on a cruise ship. I'd wanted to go on a cruise ship because... Somebody had told me that you could eat anything you wanted to on a cruise ship. And you could eat as much of it as you wanted to. Now I know you look at me and you think, there's a guy that counts his calories and watches his figure. But believe it or not, on this vacation, I didn't count my calories unless we're talking about in exponential factors. And so this was a dream vacation for me. We got on a boat that was bigger than this church and headed out to the open seas, sailing out of the Mississippi River, out to the Eastern Caribbean. I know now that it's the Caribbean and not the Caribbean, as I had called it most of my life. The Eastern Caribbean, we sailed out. And uh, we got to destinations first in Honduras and then in Belize and then in Mexico. and, And we got off in Honduras. We stepped on these sandy beaches, uh, and in the chairlift ride from the boat to the, to the beaches, we looked down and there were sea turtles bigger than I was. Literally, I'm not kidding, bigger than I was. And fit, big turtles, yeah, thank you, Dad. <laughs> Glad you're in town this weekend. Big turtles, yes, sir, big turtles. Coral reefs, you could see them from the chairlift. The water was so clear. Um, we, we get to the beach, and there was a young man named Manuel that came, and he said, Mr. Maul, you need anything, you let me know. And he carried me to my hut, I guess, on the beach where the sun wouldn't bother me. And then we got back on the boat. And we went to Belize, and we got to Belize, and a man named Michael, who was my cab driver, picked me up just off the port, and he said, you tell me where you want to go, Mr. Maul, I'll take you anywhere you want to go. I know all the best places in Belize. 
And I said, well, we want, we want to go see some of those handmade crafts. Now, she's not here this morning, so I'll pick on her. My wife is mean to people in Belize when it comes to bargaining over handmade crafts. And I've got a boat at my house that this guy carved out of a piece of wood. He was asking 15 American dollars. I'd have given him 25. Liette said, I'll give you 250. And um, I think we paid five bucks for it by the time we left. I don't know. And he just gave us some extra stuff not to come back. But, but we wandered those streets and beaches. And I promise I'm going somewhere with this. I'm not just telling you about my vacation because I didn't study this week. We're... We're in Belize and Honduras and Cozumel. We're in all these places, and we wandered the streets and the beaches, and I just, want to, I just want to tell you, we look like this. That's what we looked like as we walked around. We were tourists on vacation, and so we acted like tourists. And while on vacation, you can get away with being a tourist. It was okay that in that setting, we were tourists only looking around. But can I just tell you something? The only remembrance of Jason Mall on that island, on any of those places we went, are the few American dollars that I spent while I was there. I made no impact in that community other than the few American dollars that I spent while I was there passing through as a tourist just looking around and taking in the sights. But what I fear is that too often in our lives every day and too often in our churches across this great land, we become tourists where we live. We just pass through and the only thing that we affect is the little dab of money that we spend here or there. But but nobody is really changed as a result of our coming into their lives. And as Christians, once you've been saved... Once you've seen how great thou art, God. Once you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, it's not okay to be a tourist anymore everywhere you go. That's not acceptable anymore to merely look around and the only footprint you leave is the one on your shoe. Everywhere you go, once you come to know Jesus Christ, everywhere you go should be a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ just oozing out of your pores, just pouring out of you everywhere you go and everything you do. Because we are called to make a difference in the lives of the people around us. We are called to go out, share the gospel, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And nowhere in that great commission that we were given by Jesus Christ are we commanded to merely walk around and let everybody else affect us and no longer affect anybody. We are called not to be tourists. Yesterday, praise God, we had 48 people show up. Uh, to give out food for Hearts for Hunger. That's more than double from the first month. And we were able to give out, I thought it was 44 boxes of food, and then I remember that one went out Friday, and so there were 45 boxes of food that we gave out for Hearts for Hunger this weekend. And it's all a result of your generous gifts, your generous donations, your giving of your time and your effort. But I guarantee you, if you go to those communities where we gave out food yesterday, you'll find that we were more than tourists there yesterday. That's just the fact of the matter is. Where we went yesterday, those people in that community wouldn't say, those 48 people that drove up here, all they did was walked around and looked at our community. They would say, those people that showed up, they loved on us, they fed us. 
They prayed with us. They showed us the love of Christ. The gospel was shared in the way that we acted yesterday in that ministry. Now, that's not the only opportunity that we have in our lives to do that, but I wanted to to give you a point that we're not called to be tourists. We're called to be so much more. And as we turn to Acts 28, in the first 10 verses, we're going to see from Paul that Paul wasn't a tourist. Uh, We get an example from Paul as to how to wash up on an island and do something way more than most of us do, way more than I did when I washed up on an island in the middle of the Caribbean. And so stand, please, as we honor the reading of the holy and infallible and errant word of God from the book of Acts, chapter 28, the first 10 verses. And now when they had escaped, they then found out that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us unusual kindness, and they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. And so when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, when they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead, after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said, he was a god. And in that region, there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery, Paul went into him and prayed, and he laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They also honored us in many ways. And when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, we ask that you would do what only you could do, and that is dwell among your people this very morning, Lord God. God, we pray that any spirit in this place that ain't your Holy Spirit would be bound and kicked out the front door as quick as it came in this morning, Lord Jesus. We pray that you would dwell among us, change us, draw us nearer to you, Lord God, and most importantly, that you would be glorified in the reading and the teaching of your word. It is in your precious, saving, heavenly name that we do pray, and all God's people said, amen, and you may be seated. And now we come to these verses, and we find that Paul... And the guards have been shipwrecked. They they were shipwrecked on their way to Rome and they wash up on this island. Now all told, they would spend about three months on this island. And in that time, we're going to see Paul do what Paul did. Wherever he was, he considered it whether he was there because that's where he intended to go or whether he washed up there or whether he was a prisoner and he was drugged there. He made everywhere he went his mission field. He said, wherever I go, whatever I do is an opportunity for me to impact the people around me with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the first thing we're going to see from Paul here in Malta is something that's true in our own life. And it is this, you are encountering people that require the gospel. Everywhere you go, you're encountering people that require the gospel. As those who were shipwrecked made their way to the island, it says that they realized they were in Malta. They, they, they realized they were in, the, the King James will say Melita, but it's now known as the island of Malta. And they realized where they were. And they swept ashore, and they had a, a group of native peoples come out to greet them. And in that meeting, we're going to learn some things about the people of Malta when they get there. We're going to see that like most of the people that Paul encountered, these people, they did not know the gospel of Jesus, nor 
the God who had brought these people onto their shores. These people are coming to greet Paul and the guards and they need the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And they remind us of something I believe we forget. That sometimes the people we encounter that need the gospel, they're, they're good people. We, we run into good people all the time that still need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now in verse 2... It says that the natives showed us unusual kindness. But if you have a King James Bible, you'll see that it uses a word called barbarous. And I want to make sure we address that uh, because I don't want any of your translations to, to to be left out here. That word barbarous, a lot of times we think about, you know, all the movies we watch. When you think about washing up on an island and the natives coming out, I don't know about you, but in my mind, I see a bunch of men with like string pants, spears, and fires toting, coming out with horns coming out of their ears going, that's what I think of when I think of the natives. And in the King James, when it says the barbarous people, you might be led to think that as well. But what it's saying there, when it says the natives and the barbarous people, it just means they were people that didn't speak Greek. They didn't know the Greek language. So it says they washed up on shore, some natives came out, the people that lived on that island, they didn't know the same language that Paul and them spoke. But it says they showed them kindness. I mean, they built a fire for prisoners and guards and soldiers. They built a fire for people they'd never met because they washed up on the shore. It was cold. It was rainy. It was wet. It was an island. And they built a fire for them when they got there. And they didn't have to do anything for them, did they? But they chose to go above and beyond what they had to do to help them. And as we look at them so far, we would be inclined to say the peoples of Malta were good people. And I don't think we would be wrong in that statement that they're good people. But just because they weren't ruthless savages coming out toting their spears, it doesn't mean that they didn't need to encounter the spiritual truth of the gospel. It doesn't mean that they understood that. And I'm afraid that we forget this sometimes in our own lives. I think we go through our lives and we look around and we're not intentional about sharing the gospel with people because we say, well, brother, they're good people. They're good people. Well, I, you know, I would go share the gospel with my neighbor, but even though I've never heard him talk about Jesus, I think he probably must know him because he don't beat up his wife and he don't get drunk and he don't run around on his kids and he don't do this and he don't do that. So he must be, he's a good guy. So he must must know Jesus because he's a good guy. And we have this idea that being a good person somehow means you already know Jesus and I don't need to share the gospel with you. But there is nothing that could be further from the truth. There are a lot of good people that are going to hell in a wooden rowboat because nobody takes the time to share the gospel with them. The word of God doesn't say that the path to heaven is with good deeds. In fact, it says that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And if we take somebody's good deeds or their moral standing to somehow equal salvation, we have missed our call as Christians to go out and share the gospel. We need to remember they may be good people, but they may be like the people of Malta, spiritually confused. Look what happens. In verse 3, they build a bonfire. It says, Paul gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, and a viper came out and fastened on his hand. So literally, Paul... They build this fire, and obviously those of you who have built fires before understand, if you don't put more sticks on the fire, what happens to your fire? you got no more fire. It's cold, it's wet, they've warmed up, they don't want to run out of fire. So Paul goes and he finds a bundle of sticks. Paul picks up this bundle of sticks. Now it's cold and it's wet. 
I don't know how many people know what no-shouldered creatures called snakes do when they get cold, but they curl up and get still. And so Paul picks up a bundle of sticks, and there's a snake in there, and he don't know it. And he gets close to that fire. Well, when that cold snake gets hot by that fire, he lashes out at the man that's toting him around and fastens himself right there on Paul's hand. By that happening, we get something revealed to us about the people of Malta. How did they respond to that? Well, they said, no doubt. There's no doubt in my mind this man must be a murderer. He must, he must have done something bad because somehow or another he survived a shipwreck and yet he's still being punished. He's still being punished. Let me tell you something. When Some of your translations will say, Justice, some will say vengeance. Yet justice found him anyway, or vengeance found him anyway. That word there, what it, what it tells us is that the people of Malta still worshipped the god Nemesis. And so by that they said, the god Nemesis has come and delivered vengeance. It literally means the god that delivered justice. So they felt like there was some sort of being throughout the world that nature would somehow correct itself. That because Paul had been a murderer, he would be killed by this viper and that would be vengeance or justice being doled out upon Paul. And so we see by their thought there that they didn't know the one true God. They were spiritually confused about who God was and what God did and and, and what he really did. Because they go on and when Paul doesn't die, they change their minds. Now they don't think he's being punished by nemesis. Now they think he must be a god himself. We should worship him because he has survived this strike from this viper. See, we have to realize that the morally good people that we run into need Jesus just as much as the man on death row. Let's be honest with ourselves. How many times... How many times have we encountered people that were spiritually confused and needed the gospel and chose not to because we thought they might be morally better than we were? Well, who am I? Who am I to share the gospel with this guy? He heard what I said when my lawnmower broke last week. He's my neighbor. He saw... What I did, who am I to share the gospel with this guy? Who are you to share the gospel? You're the guy that's chained to him next door. It's your responsibility to share the gospel with him just as much as it's the prison minister's responsibility to share it with the man on death row. Because the gospel needs to be shared because there are people that are good people that are just spiritually confused. There are people that still believe that somehow doing enough good deeds is going to get them to heaven. There are people that have watched enough Oprah Winfrey to believe if they do enough good things, there are many ways to heaven. And if they're just morally good enough, surely God won't punish them. My word of God says, how then will they know unless someone preach it? How then will the morally good person find out that the gospel of Jesus has the saving power unless the people who have already embraced it shout from the mountaintops, how great thou art, Jesus is the only way to heaven. How then will it happen if we refuse to share that gospel? It's easy to look at somebody that doesn't act the way we think they ought to act and say, boy, they need the gospel. But sometimes we find it hard to look at somebody who's acting the same way they do and say, I'm going to go share the gospel with that guy. I'm not saying quit sharing it with the person who's not standing morally right. I'm saying share it with everybody. 
Share it with everybody. Can I just ask you a question? What is the absolute, positively worst thing that might happen if you went to somebody and started a conversation with them and a relationship with them and it led into a gospel conversation and they said, yes, I know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Is that a bad conversation to have had with them? Brian, I saw you had a conversation with a man yesterday when it was over. He said, I have a relationship with Jesus. Did that hurt you in any way? Of course it didn't hurt him anyway. Matter of fact, they praised Jesus together in the middle of that conversation. But what happens if we quit having those conversations? And that person dies and goes to hell because somebody came in and never took the time to say, let me tell you what Jesus did for me. Let me tell you about the God that I serve. We cannot simply go through life as tourists smiling and waving pleasantly everywhere because we're encountering people who need to receive the gospel. But beyond that, we are experiencing problems that reveal the gospel in our lives. Look at verses 5 and 6 with me. They didn't really know what to think. It says, he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. After they looked for a long time, saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now, I'm just going to confess something to everybody in the house this morning. If you're waiting on your pastor to get bit by a viper and survive, to realize that I love Jesus, it ain't going to happen. Because about the time that viper bit me on the hand, it wouldn't matter if God didn't let the poison get in my veins, I'd have had a heart attack. I'd have been in glory that moment because I'd have, about the time the viper hissed, I'd have died before he ever bit me. But Paul didn't. Praise God for Paul. And their minds are blown by what's going on. He gets bit by the viper and, and really for old Paul, it's just another bump in the road for him, isn't it? The gospel is displayed in his life so many times through all his bumps and bruises that a snake bite is really minimal. I mean, you're talking about a dude had been stoned and left for dead. Snake bite didn't really matter to Paul. He said, it's just one more time Jesus is being shown in my suffering. This is a guy that had a thorn in his side. Now, there are some people that think that that thorn in his side was the people that wouldn't receive his gospel, and it was a figurative thorn. There are some that believe it was a literal thorn, and there are some like me that believe it was both. I believe Paul had a thorn in his side from the most stiff-necked Jews that wouldn't hear the gospel of Jesus and change. And I believe he had a stitch in his side that made him hurt physically too. And he said, what about that? He said, praise God for this thorn in my side that I'm reminded that I need to keep preaching. Now, how many of us get a thorn in our side and get our stuff all in a ruckus and quit preaching because, well, there ain't nobody listening no way. I ain't going to prepare that Sunday school lesson like I used to because they don't listen no way. I ain't going to preach the way I used to because they ain't going to change no way. What if we all took that attitude? What would happen? Where would we be? Now, Paul said, snake bite, doggone it. Get in that fire, snake. Get in that fire. Where's the rest of the wood at, boys? He didn't slow down, I don't think. I think Paul just knew when that snake let he said, Oh, Jesus finna show off. Y'all finna get a little Jesus on Malta. Hang on. 
there was a clear power on display in Paul's life right here. Just a clear power. He survives the snake biting, and Luke kind of puts this account in there as he's watching this happen. And I think the purpose for us to show us that our hardships that we endure, that's when the power of God is really shown in our lives. That's when we really have an opportunity to show that we serve a God that is greater than the hardships of this world. It, it means not that bad stuff ain't going to happen to us. Bad stuff, it, it's going to happen. Whether you know Jesus or not, bad stuff's going to happen. But when you know God, when you, when you got Jesus, you got a Savior that's going to overcome all of it. Matter of fact, Jesus said, well, he said, in this life, you will endure many tribulations. You'll endure many problems. But be of good cheer because I have overcome them all. I've overcome the world. Jesus said, listen, bad stuff's going to happen. But you can take, take great gladness in the fact that I have already overcome the world. I've already defeated the world. And part of our witness in this life is how we display the power of God in our lives in times of trouble. When you're snake bitten by circumstances of life and you have the opportunity to demonstrate the peace of God... That surpasses all understanding. Guess what? If somebody knows that you claim to be a Christian, I promise you this, they're watching, waiting on you to crumble and fall and, and mess up. They're looking even closer than they might look at someone who doesn't say they're a Christian. They're watching pretty close, and they're trying to see what you're going to do when that viper latches onto your hand. You're going to panic and fall? You're going to throw in the towel? Or are you going to keep that head up and keep worshiping God in His fullness? Uh, the power of God on display in our lives, it's how the, the cancer patient keeps serving God when they've been given a bad diagnosis. It's how the, the wife continues to serve God when her husband passes away. How the husband continues to praise God after the wife that he praised God with for so many years passes away. It's how the father who lost a child continues to praise God through the storms of his life. That is the power of God on display in the lives of people all around us. Just like what Paul was doing. There is no greater display of the power of God in your life than how you respond when the viper latches onto your hand. How do you respond when times get tough? See, we not only see a power in Paul's life, but we see a picture in this snake bite scene that, that displays the gospel. Think of this with me. This man is bitten by a snake and he survives because of Jesus. Bitten by a snake, he lives simply because he knows Jesus. Now think back to the garden with me. Because in the garden, what happens? Man essentially is bitten by the snake in the garden, isn't he? He's really snake bitten. Sin entered the world through that. And with it, death. And then finally... Through the woman who was present when the snake bite occurred, through that woman, the promised seed comes. Jesus comes and fulfills what was said in Genesis. What's he do? He crushes the head of the serpent. Says, he, says Jesus crushed the head of the serpent. Sure. The serpent bruised his heel on that cross. But on that cross, while his heel was being crushed, just bruised. He was crushing the head of the serpent. 
Now, I'm not just trying to over-spiritualize this picture here of Paul with his snake bite, but I want us to be reminded that we are sinners. We are doomed and dying and snake-bitten apart from Jesus. The only way we survive this snake-bitten curse of sin is by accepting Jesus Christ who crushed the head of the serpent. Though we should die and deserve it, we live. We can shake off that old man of sin. We're reborn. We can't afford to live as tourists. We can't afford to live as tourists. Because the things that we endure in this life are revealing the gospel of Jesus Christ as we live our lives. And as we close, not only are we encountering people who need the gospel, not only are we experiencing things that reveal the gospel, but we're establishing places that receive the gospel. Now I want us to be clear. When Paul laid out his missionary journey, for Rome by way of continuously telling the people, I appeal to Caesar so that I can defend the gospel in front of the highest court. He didn't pencil out on a piece of paper Malta as one of his destinations to share the gospel. I can promise you that. Because if he had, if he'd have never made his way there by a shipwreck. I mean, Paul was faithful, but he wasn't stupid. He never, I don't think Paul set out and he said, well, on the way to Rome, I think there'll be a tempest come and sink the boat and we'll float up to Malta and that's where I'll preach. I don't think that's how it went down. But once Paul got there, he decided, whenever I leave this island, whenever that is, when he got there, he had no idea how long he'd be there. But Paul said, when I leave this island, it's going to be different than it was when I got here. It ain't going to be the same once Paul leaves as it was when Paul got here. And we might should preach on that for a while, but we'll come back another day. I want you to look at what happened while he was there, though. In verse 7, he, he encounters a man named Publius. And when he meets Publius, we find he's an important person on this island. But his father is very sick. He's got dysentery, he's got a fever, and he's dying. Verse 8 tells us that Paul laid his hands on him and prayed for him and that the father was healed. Now, by verse 9, word gets out. I don't know if you've ever looked at a map, if any of you have one in your Bibles. I challenge you to look at it. Malta is about this big. It probably don't take long once you start getting dead people living, people that are near death with fever get healed. It don't take long for word to spread to the other side of an island that big, does it? And so word gets out. By verse 9, they're saying word's out and people are coming and being healed on this island. Now, I want, I want to tell you something. It does not say in the word of God that Paul was preaching. It says that he was healing. But there is nothing in Paul's life that lends me to believe that Paul would have been healing and not pointing to the fact that he wasn't the one doing the healing. There's no part of me that believes there's anything in Paul's life that gives me any evidence that says that Paul would have just healed and said, I just healed you in my own name. Everything Paul ever did, he did in the name of Jesus Christ and he gave the glory and the honor and the praise to Jesus Christ. So I believe that even though it doesn't say Paul was preaching, I believe that every time Paul was healing, I believe he was preaching at the same time. 
I believe Paul would lay his hands on a man. He'd say, I pray in the name of Jesus. And then I believe he'd stop for a minute and say, have I ever told you about Jesus whom I pray in the name of? Back in Jerusalem, let me tell you what happened. Back in Jerusalem, this Jesus who I'm praying in the name of who just healed this man, let me tell you what he did. He went to a wooden cross and he spread his arms out wide and he took nails in his hands and he took nails in his and he died there on the cross. And, and in the name of Jesus, would you heal this man? The man was healed. And he said, let me tell you, when that Jesus that was on that cross, he laid down and he died, he was doing it for you and he was doing it for this sick man and it's by his power that I can pray about healing. And let let me tell you something else about Jesus. He died for your sins even though you never met him. He knew you before you were made even though you were on an island. And he loves you so much that he wants to save you even though you've been worshiping Nemesis and thinking that he brought about vengeance. But let me tell you about Nemesis. Nemesis is a false God. He says you do good, you get good, you do bad, you get bad. My God is a good God that says you can't do good, but he's not going to give you bad. He's going to give you good anyway because he loves you so much. And I believe as Paul healed, he preached. And I believe he did more preaching than he did healing. And I believe that as he did that, people started saying, wait a minute, this wacky man who got snake bit, he ain't a God, but he's got a God that is something special. One commentator wrote, if Paul was healing, Paul was preaching. And I believe that's what Paul's life tells us, is that he was just preaching. He was actively doing the work where he was, wherever that may be. You say, well, preacher, I'd share the gospel more, but this is not my destination. I'm heading somewhere else. I've got another job that I'll be starting before long. I'm going to be moving to another school before long. I'm going to be changing my, my neighborhood so my relationships are going to change. My neighbors are going to be different. This is going to change. That's going to change. I didn't ask you what you were going to be doing when you got where you were going. I'm asking you what you're doing right now. Are you a tourist where you're at? Or are you sharing the gospel of Jesus where you are? See, this wasn't Paul's destination either. This wasn't where he was going. He was on his way to Rome. My goodness. If ever there was a time in Paul's life where he had the, the clear right, I guess you would say, the, the clear right to say, I'm going to set back and prepare my notes because I'm about to sit in front of Caesar. This would have been a good time. It'd be like if somebody told me that I was going to have an opportunity to preach in front of the, the United Nations Council. I'd want to spend a lot of time in preparation for that so that I would be most prepared. I might drop other things in my life so that I could spend extra time preparing. But Paul said, I don't need no more time to share Jesus. I got that in my back pocket because of what he's done for me. I might as well preach while I'm here. I don't know how long I'm going to be here. But there's going to be more people know Jesus when I leave than they are when I got here. So while he was there, he preached. Verse 10, we see that when he left, they gave him support. They gave him stuff. Not just a few things. They took of their own stuff and gave it to him that he would have everything necessary for the journey. The people of Malta were changed to the point that they didn't just want to build a fire for these guys so they wouldn't freeze to death. They wanted to see this ministry go further. They shared in the ministry. They shared in the gospel because they were so moved by the gospel. Did you know that if you visit Malta today, and go to the stretch of land where Paul washed up on the shore. 
you would find that it's called St. Paul's Bay off the coast of Malta because of the impact that he made while he was there for just three months because he refused to be just a tourist. He said, I'm not just going to pass through. Three months' time, and they named that stretch of land after him. This morning, I ask you this. As you travel through this life, will you be a tourist? See a few sights, meet a few folks, and pass right on through? Or will you make an impact wherever you are and wherever you go? We said last week, as we talked about Shamgar, if there was but one verse written about us, if it was going to mean anything in history... It would only mean anything in as much as it was about how the gospel of Jesus grew as a result of our lives. Anything else that we accomplish really in the annals of history many years from now won't mean much other than the impact of how the gospel of Jesus was impacted through the way we lived our lives. So what are you doing to impact the world around you with the gospel of Jesus Christ? What are you doing? As we close this morning, I ask you to examine your own life. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your, maybe it's your Sunday school class. I don't know. Wherever it's at, God's got you there to make a difference in the people's lives around you. He's got you there to share the gospel with the people around you. Are you doing everything you can to share that gospel with the people around you? And maybe you're here this morning, and you've been passing through this life like a tourist, soaking it in. You've been thinking, this world is as good as it gets. If I do enough good, I'll be okay. But you've realized this morning that this, this Jesus that Paul had, who would shake a viper off into a pit and just keep going, is something you've never experienced. Won't you come this morning? And accept this same Jesus that saved Paul on the road to Damascus. He's still here for you. The same Jesus that died for Paul died for you. So would you accept him this morning and follow him? Let us pray. Father God, Lord, we stand before you. So thankful for a shipwreck in Malta that we could learn that we too cannot afford to go through life not spreading your gospel, Lord. God, someone here this morning has a burden that is holding them back from worshiping you in spirit and truth. God, you burden their hearts, convict them to lay that at your feet, that they may worship you again in spirit and in truth and spread the gospel and share what you've done for them because of the good things that you've done for them, Lord. And God, someone here this morning has been walking through this life looking around and never accepted you as their Savior. A good person. They've done good things. Come from a good family. Live with a good wife. Have good kids. But they have never accepted you and and had a personal relationship where they've stood and said, I'll follow Jesus the rest of my life. God, give them the courage to come this morning and accept you as their Savior. And it's in your precious heavenly name that we do pray. Amen.
Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org.